Pandemic reality, with everything that implies in terms of time at home and for some opportunities to take up new hobbies or projects, didn't result in a time windfall for most teachers. I've never spent so much time over the course of a school year getting ready for online or hybrid classes complete with links, presentation decks for everything that happened in class. One casualty of the pandemic time suck was Lunch Duty Podcast. It's been a while since I dropped an episode, and now I'm facing the specter, the dreaded pod fade. We're going to keep that demon at bay with this episode based on an interview I recorded last year with current Stone Ridge senior, Maddie Ogletree, and Stone Ridge graduate, Claudia Van Vloten, about Maddie's original acapella composition, Cherry Lime. This is exciting for Lunch Duty Podcast because I've long wanted to feature student musicians on the cast. But copyright laws are unambiguous. There's no way for me to legally drop an episode with protected music without paying an impossible sum of money. But with Maddie and the student-run a cappella ensemble Heartfelt, I can finally get some amazing music on the air. The musicians speak brilliantly for themselves, so I'm going to roll right into a recording of the song go right to the interview about the song, and then put the song in again for anyone interested in hearing it a second time with the backstory in mind. If hearing it once is enough, not likely, stop after the interview. With that, I give you Heartfelt, directed by Claudia Van Vloten, singing Maddie Ogletree's original arrangement, Cherry Lime. Cherry Lime, cold as ice, Tell me this isn't the right time And I brush it off like I always do Face of gold and old soul I wanna ask you where you go And I'll pretend that I have no clue Oh, but if I could read your thoughts It'd be a crime Just push the blame on me, Cherry Cherry love 
What's the quick rundown on Heartfelt? Tell, tell us about Heartfelt. Well, Stonebridge uh, has an acapella group in the upper school named Heartfelt. And it's basically a group of around 15 girls, this year at 16, who generally just, you know, sing. They love music. They, they participate in chorus. They, you know, or they don't. And they really want to in some capacity. So Heartfelt is their place. We try and perform as much as possible. You know, it's kind of, it's a great experience because like a bunch of people from different groups, different grades get to come together and bond, you know, over music. And yeah, it's, we're all dependent on each other, especially in acapella. Everyone has to be pretty tight in their harmonies and everything. So Heartfelt is just basically like a great extra extracurricular for bonding and making music, which we love. That's pretty neat because yeah, the, the results as we have seen over the years are always remarkable. So here you are. It's your senior year. We've been in various states of enforced remote learning, the hybrid model where in any given class, often half or even more of the class is experiencing it through their computers from elsewhere. Social distancing rules apply. Everyone has to wear masks. Like It's an incredibly hostile environment for singing and music which is, of course, a mask-off, close-in, intensely communal experience, I guess you would have been well within reason as a group to shut down, kind of roll up your tent for a year, and yet you didn't. How in the world, Claudia, did Heartfelt continue to drop these incredible YouTube songs that you've been arranging and performing? Well, I would say in respect to Heartfelt, I'm almost grateful for the everything that's happened because we didn't have a Heartfelt YouTube channel before this year. The Heartfelt Instagram run by Miss Maddie Ogletree was kind of, I mean, it was, it was there, but it wasn't utilized so much, I would say. So, you know, taking our social media to the next step was really a, a key part of keeping Heartfelt running in this pandemic. Um, but I would say like, we really wanted to have in-person practices. We were talking about having like spaced out on a field kind of thing, but that didn't end up happening. Cause I was like, oh my God, we're going to scream our voices out trying just to hear each other. So Miss Cunha actually helped us out. She recommended like Soundtrap, which is what we record on. And we pretty much just started, you know, messing around on that, trying to figure out how that works. It took a lot of trial and error. I would still say a lot of girls don't know how to mute on their tracks which is okay i mean honestly it's really confusing there's a lot of buttons um but it then became like oh where what can we do with this now we can't play it during assembly like we don't really have assemblies that much um so the youtube channel was born and then yeah that's pretty much it <laughs> hey while we're on that topic uh, for for listeners who aren't familiar with the fact that we have you have a youtube channel how could they search and find it on youtube if you just Google Heartfelt Acapella and you'll see a little YouTube channel pop up and we have our logo, which is a treble clef with a little music heart or a heart in the middle. And that'll be it. But you're already addressing something I'm really interested in, which is even after the pandemic subsides and we return to some semblance of normal, you know, what are some things that might linger on in the heartfelt tradition that you picked up during this experience? Well, 
I probably won't be here, unfortunately, since I'm graduating. But I'm hoping that, you know, Maddie and Amelia and the other juniors, they keep up the channel because I would like to, you know, look back as an alumni and be like, oh, my God, what's Heartfelt doing today? Um, but, yeah, I'm hoping that the heart, the Heartfelt on um, YouTube and Instagram keep keep going. The Maddie, she does a great job on the Instagram, by the way. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she really does. And what's the Instagram handle, Maddie? Um, it's at SR Heartfelt. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, you could just type that into the search bar in Instagram and it should pop right up. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I try to keep everybody updated because, you know, people seem to be interested. Also, yeah. a lot of members of Heartfelt, like, will repost what Maddie's posted on their oh, Instagram yeah. stories just so it gets even more traffic. How do you get so many people in a group that big to record such clean audio? I mean, usually, like I struggle to get just one interviewee sometimes to generate a clean signal. So how do you do that? Well, I usually give the kids a window of like five days. I don't know. It's usually quite a three to five days period of time. And we do, I mean, they're the people who record like early. And then they are people who record like 11 p.m. on the date that I gave them it's due. So they'll end up recording. And what I do is basically, um, unfortunately, I kind of have to threaten them into using headphones. I ask them if they don't have headphones because some some people go on like, I don't know, they go places where they don't have headphones for some reason. I ask them to turn down the volume really low so we don't get any feedback or like echoing of the audio when they're singing. Um, and when they are using headphones, they can't use Bluetooth with the Soundtrap, unfortunately, because there is a delay which means that I would have to go in and in individually correct each note and its rhythm, which is, a, I mean, it's fine, but it's a little bit of a hassle. Um, but yeah, they're, they're generally very good about that. So I'm assuming based on your description thus far that everybody is, they're recording their parts separately yes. and then you're splicing it all together. So it's not as if you're getting everyone into some big Zoom meeting and then pointing the finger and they're singing. That's not how it's working. Well, they can all hear each other, which is nice about Soundtrap, is that like once some, one person records and saves, then the next person can now hear them. Oh, and so they can uh, they can sing off someone else's tempo. Mm -hmm. So we usually generally have um, our arranger or me sing a couple of practice tracks. That's what we call them. It's basically the four parts, just, you know, us singing them. And then what the kids do is they listen to them and then sing their part according to what we sang, you know, so they have like a reference track. How is how Soundtrap for you guys on your end? I personally love Soundtrap, but I'm already kind of experienced with GarageBand, so it was easier for me to figure it out. But, you know, there still were times where I had to text Claudia and be like, oh my God, where is the octave button? I can't find it. And Claudia would just be like, it's it's under the edit bar. Just It's that easy. But, you know, I would say it's pretty easy to use. I, I really enjoy it. I watched the YouTube video you dropped about making a heartfelt song mm -hmm. and one little statistic really jumped jumped out to me uh now how typically how long how much time do you invest in one song drop ah uh, well that's a tough question because it does depend on the song but i would say post-production is just specifically post-production would take like five hours generally around five hours because there is a lot of like oh someone's like one tenth of a meter off or whatever you know so i have to go in like scroll and find exactly where it is and like cut it out um but also i'm just i'm really nitpicky so that's an issue but then if i'm doing the arrangement i'm not that experienced with arranging 
So it does take me quite a long time to arrange. I would say like 10 to 15 hours on an arrangement just because once again, slightly nitpicky. I show it to like hundreds of people before deciding on it. Um, but yeah, so it can really take up a big chunk of time. I can be doing it. I remember being in person on campus in, back in November, like editing my heartfelt song like during class. I mean, oops, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm shocked, shocked that that occurs. <laughs> so no, it's it's uh, just an incredible uh, yeah labor of love. Maddie, in terms of the, the process of sort of the birth of a song from just like a few neural impulses in your head to actually going out into space and people listening to it. My first question is for lay people. What's the sort of basic vocabulary of a creation of an acapella song? You know, in, in other words, what are the different roles that you as the creator have to assume to make a song like this happen? Um, well, this was actually kind of easy for me to arrange because this song was based off of a produced version I had made earlier this year. I kind of already knew how all of the parts were going to go in my head. Yeah, it was pretty easy. All you need is like a bass line and then you need a few like far away sounding chords and stuff. And then, you know, it just sounds good. You just have to mess with it until you get something that you like. I think it's there's not really like a process that I use. My understanding of pre-digital technological composers would be that they'd be sitting at a piano, you know, plunking off notes and getting using the uh, piano as sort of their reference. When you're composing and actually starting to generate uh, sounds, are you at a computer? Well, I'm sitting at my computer. I have like the Soundtrap tab open, but I actually use a ukulele to compose because I figured, oh, four strings, four parts, perfect. So I will just like play the chord and then I will just like play each string until I get like, you know, the part. It's really that simple. When you're doing that, does it does it feel like work or do you enter a flow state? You know, what what's your sort of cognitive uh, sense of yourself while you're thinking of and, you know, uh, composing music? I mean, this is what I love to do. It's it's so fun. I love writing songs and creating music and stuff like that. And this acapella arrangement, I've never really arranged anything before, but it was very similar to like, you know, producing regular music. So I don't know. And even if there's times when you're not enjoying it, you just have to think about the end result. Like, oh, the end result is going to be so good. This is going to be so worth it. You know, it's just once you get into that mindset, it's pretty easy mm -hmm. to like, you know, feel excited over it. That's a pretty good microcosm of almost all creative endeavors where the creator is drawn to it from somewhere deep within. But there is inevitably a, a moment or a point at which you have to work through to finish. Yeah, but it uh, seems great. With regard to Cherry Lime, do you remember where sort of the idea for the lyrics for that began to coalesce in your head? And I, I ask this with great humility. I know that artists sometimes are uncomfortable talking about their interior creative process. But, you know, do, do you, where, where did this song come from in your head? Um, well, I had actually written the lyrics a long time ago. I want to say like the beginning of this summer. And, well, it started off as more of a self-reflection. 
like I was, you know, I had nothing to do. I was just like thinking about <laughs> my life because I was quarantined. I can't talk to anybody. And it started off as more of a self-reflection. But as time went on, I kind of realized like, oh, wow, this experience that happened in my life made me feel kind of bad. <laughs> Maybe I should write about it. And that's what I did. And then, you know, it's the song that it is today. <laughs> Oh yeah. Is is there a part of the song that's kind of the fulcrum on which it tips? Something that an audience a little could you bestow on the audience a little inside sense of the the song and maybe a up the crux moment in it? I don't know if such a thing exists in it. Um well like my favorite line in it is probably um and I often feel like I'm wasting all your time but I know that I'll never be your only cherry lime. I feel like that's very relatable. Like feeling, never feeling good enough for somebody or like feeling like you can't reach somebody's expectations. I just really like how relatable that line is. <laughs> and when I was like showing it to my friends for the first time, they were like, whoa, I something similar happened to me too. And I was like, yes, look at me being. <laughs> how does externalizing that internal dialogue that you just described how does externalizing that as a song then make you feel um well it's it's a little intimidating at first because i tend to be more of a private person but you know it's not like anybody really asks questions or anything they kind of just like stay in their own lane so it's kind of nice i guess like being able to express how I feel and not really have any questions asked about it. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe I didn't answer that right. No, that that's excellent. And what I love about it, there's an irony in it so that you're, you're, you're pushing out to the world, you know, this fundamental insecurity that apparently resonates with many of your friends. And yet in so doing, it's also a dazzling display of awesomeness and excellence. <laughs> or I should say this as a uh, listener to that song, it really seems like a win for you. <laughs> and uh, just, yeah, well done. Thank you. In fact, I was doing a fairly mundane, low intellect task at my computer, probably like taking care of emails. I looked up Cherry Lime. I just kept hitting repeat and, and listening to it. I'm one of these people who I have to admit, I don't, I don't very often pay direct attention to lyrics. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the, the sound, the visceral sense of the song and its sound you know, is kind of uh, what I, I most uh, prominently experience. So I'm, I'm going to uh, ping pong over to Claudia really quickly. And with, with that in mind, as you were processing that song, how would you describe sort of its visceral, just auditory impact, you know, as detached from the literal lyrics? Well, I would say that like the song, the background was, a, that was a lot of Maddie coming through because she sang, we fell in love in October back in the fall. And it had also this kind of like ethereal quality to it, you know, this kind of like very soothing, it can play in the background while you're reading emails, it's kind of like lulls you, you know, that kind of thing. I love that. And I think that really came through in this song, especially that like ethereal quality. I remember when I was first listened to it, when everyone, you know, put it together and I was like, I had to go in and nitpick and I listened to it and I was like, there's really not that much to change right now. Like it was really good. Mm -hmm. The kids did a really great job like pretty much everyone was on pitch hitting the right note hitting the right rhythm and I, I would just like to say that I think Maddie did a great job with the arrangement because there wasn't a lot of like 
Oh, I'm not really sure what note this is, so I'm going to sing this random note and hope it's right. Because that does occasionally happen. I mean, yeah. I do it too, so. But, yeah, Matt, this was Maddie's first arrangement, and she managed to get that quality of that, like, ethereal, not quite really real, like, you know, driving home from the airport late at night vibe. <laughs> it's amazing. And actually, Maddie, I have to say that I've been assuming the whole time that you were the soloist. soloist. Was that the case? Yes. Right. Excellent. You really own that song in the solo yeah. parts. Like it's clearly coming from a place of deep knowledge of its interior workings. And that, that's highly evident. I would have been kind of shocked if you were able to convey that sense to a, a separate soloist. Oh, I was just going to say that usually the soloist is the one who like sets the tone for the song. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I think usually they're one of the first ones to record, you know, it's so exciting. Um, but then everyone kind of follows their lead. So you know, this this song especially, there, I, I really couldn't imagine anyone else singing it but Maddie. And so, Maddie, would it be harder or easier to do an original composition and arrangement for a different soloist? Mm, that's kind of a loaded question, I feel like. Because I feel like it's kind of hard to, like, give this creation over to somebody who doesn't really understand, like, the inner workings, like you were saying, and how much thought really went into it. I don't know. I feel like I could get over it eventually. Just like <laughs> letting go is the hardest part, I think. But once you get over that bump, it's fine. Well, we we could put that on the wall. That's a it's one of those <laughs> wisdom posters. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna kind of just wrap things up by putting you a little bit on the spot, each of you. So lightning round, putting you on the spot. Claudia, can you identify? Is there something that listeners should know about the song from your perspective and its creation that isn't just in, uh, plainly evident from listening to it on YouTube? Yeah, I would say, um, I think generally, I don't want to generalize to be honest, but generally <laughs> people don't really listen to the background of music. And I think this is one of the songs worth listening to the background because there's a lot happening there. And you know what? Like, all 15, apart from Maddie, who's singing the solo, 15 of these people were really putting in the a lot of effort with the background. And I would just say, you know, especially for acapella, it's really important that the vocals sound good. So maybe just hone in on that next time you give it a listen. Maddie, same question. Is there some aspect of the song that wouldn't be blazingly evident to casual listeners that you could bring to our collective attention. I mean, I agree with Claudia. Definitely listen to the background because I did stick a few Easter eggs in there. Just, you know, ah, music, fun, you know. <laughs> I have no idea what that just was. <laughs> Perfect. Know, yeah. And we will let the Easter egg hunt remain mysterious. So <laughs> having now talked to both of you, I'm already looking forward to listening to it yet again. <laughs> and I account already for probably a significant percentage, you know, of the views on YouTube. So people listening to this, it deserves your full attention for a clean run through, not just part of this podcast. We'll roll into it now. Um, Claudia, Maddie, thanks so much for your time. Claudia, best of luck with crossing the threshold from leaving Stone Ridge to whatever comes next. Thank you. And Maddie, I hope we could do this again before you graduate. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, 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 uh.
cherry lime, cold as ice. You tell me this isn't the right time, and I brush it off like I always do. Face of gold, emerald soul. I wanna ask you where you go, and I'll pretend that I have no clue. If I could read your thoughts, it'd be a crime. And you would just push the blame on me, Jerry Love. Be this way. And I often feel as if I'm wasting all your time. And I know that'll never be your only cherry line. Executive producer of Lunch Duty Podcast, Ken Woodard. Episode recorded and edited by Ken Woodard. Theme music composed and recorded for Lunch Duty by Ray Ruskin. Credit roll music composed and performed by Luke Woodard. Think big, have fun, and keep teaching.